Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Empty Opinions Podcast, a place for all things culture. My name is Oladia Blanco, a.k.a. E4, a.k.a. Sublime. And before we get to today's show, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. That's right. Um, a couple of things to go over. One, rate and review this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot. Listen, I've been doing this podcast for four years. I've gotten way more success on YouTube than the audio. So let's get that fixed. Let's get the audio up. Share with friends that you know listen to podcasts. You know what I mean? This is a good pie. I feel like I offer a good audio experience whenever there's not music blasting on the other side of the wall. Also, this show is basically optimized for audio at this point. I put clips up on YouTube. I mean, the last episode, I didn't even put any clips out of any kind. Not even like real shorts, TikToks, none of that shit. Not even YouTube like regular clips. But guess what? I put out the audio. And I'll be honest, just because I, I, I was I didn't like I went through the episode. I wasn't really feeling it. I didn't love the episode as much as I usually do one of these. You know, the audio was fucking bothering me. I don't know. The topics weren't great. You know, I didn't love that episode, but it is what it is. We move. Hopefully this one is good and I get clips out of it. I'm counting on it because this is a pretty big episode. Not really, but it's coming. It's an episode covering something big in culture. So hopefully this episode does good. But the only way to ensure that is if you rate and review this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So please do that for me. Thanks. Also subscribe to the YouTube channel. I do reactions over there on top of putting, you know, video clips of this podcast you're listening to right now in other content. You know, you, you never know what's going to come out on YouTube. So check it out. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Letterboxd at Eladio Talks, E-L-A-D-I-O Talks. Uh, Twitter, you get some music opinions, mainly a little bit of movie opinions. But Letterboxd is really the place to see my reviews and Instagram. I mean, just vibes. Also, follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Opinions Empty. So, Empty Opinions backwards because those were able to, I was able to secure those usernames instead of Empty Opinions. I don't know who the fuck took that. I'm mad that they took it. Follow it there for clips and updates and what's going on with this podcast. You know, when new episodes come out on Instagram, you know, all that. I didn't say Twitter, even though I do have a Twitter because, like, who cares? Twitter's not a good Twitter's not a good place for podcasts. I've learned that that I've learned that. And last but certainly not least, listen to my playlist, the freshly squeezed playlist, uh, updated every week, every every Sunday. You know, check it out. You'll see uh, what songs I'm really liking. And now it's not just new music; it's also old music as well. So, you know, there it is. You can check it out. And uh, check out some great music, you know? Why not? But all right, let's get into some real topics. This is the Barbenheimer episode. It is. This is the biggest weekend in movies in a long time, maybe since Endgame. So 
let's you know let's talk about it shall we i watched both movies you know i had to not in the same day but in the same 24 hours so i feel like that still counts as a double feature right you know the only thing that interrupted me seeing both movies was just um sleep <laughs> pretty much um i saw oppenheimer uh at 9 10 p.m on a thursday in a 70 millimeter imax and i saw barbie at like 1.45 p.m. in a regular ass screening. There's a bunch of kids. I'll get into my experiences for both movies. But let's take it one at a time. Let's go with Oppenheimer, then Barbie. Then maybe we could do an Oppenheimer and Barbie discussion, like them as a double feature, or what it means for the industry, whatever. But let's get started with just open up. I almost said Oppenheimer. Open Gangnam Style. No, Oppenheimer. Come on. Beautiful. Oh, my God. The scores. Ludwig Göransson went fucking crazy on this score, man. God damn, I love this score. But yes, let's start with Oppenheimer. Obviously, everybody knows, you know, Christopher Nolan's back with another banger. Uh, his last movie, Tenet, didn't do well in theaters because it was the pandemic mainly. And I think that the, the, the bad timing of that movie kind of has made people look at it weirdly. I feel like Tenet is going to age pretty well, though. Like, I feel like it's one of his best movies. Well, I don't know if it's one of his best movies, but it's definitely a good movie, and people think that it's not, and I don't like that. I don't like that reputation that it's gotten. Because gotten. really, the only criticism that that movie... Okay, there's a couple of criticisms. You know, one is that the, the, the mixing, the audio mixing isn't good, which is like, okay, that's... Is that a deal breaker? Does that make a movie bad? I don't think so. And then the other thing is like, oh, like of, you know, characters that we care about. Listen, when you're watching time going backwards and forwards simultaneously, I could give a fuck about character. I really could because that, that's some mind blowing shit. That movie definitely blew my mind in the fucking theaters. Um, also, it will forever be in my memory because that's when I took this girl out to a date uh, that I had a crush on for a while. That was a. Uh, I think I kissed her at the end of that night. Yeah, that was beautiful, man. I miss uh, kissing. <laughs> That's an insane sentence. I miss, you know, just, you know, it's just uh, so much anxiety that comes with women. But that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, Tenet was his last movie. I really loved it. And I was excited for Oppenheimer. Three-hour drama. Um, what is it about? It's about the life of Oppenheimer. It's about, you know, his, you know, his beginnings as a as a as a fucking whatever he is his dealings with science i don't know what his technical term is but it's about before just him in school and his struggles and you know him realizing he's a fucking genius and moving to new mexico uh to like teach quantum physics then moving on to you know being tasked with being the head of the manhattan project and then afterwards how the u.s try to do him dirty they try to fuck him over. That's basically the plot of the movie. And God, what can I say about this movie that hasn't already been said? Technically nothing. Well, that's not true. I'm sure I could find something no one said before. Oppenheimer, it's, you know, it's the funniest movie of the year. I could say that. It's not, I don't think nobody said that before. So technically that would count as something no one's ever heard. I don't know. Where do I begin? Oppenheimer is like a true masterpiece. You could tell Oppenheimer is definitely like a true you see how I like it backtrack so I can get the clip right. I mean, I'll be thinking clips now. No, I, I don't want to think of clips. Just is a good podcast. I'm just trying to 
figure out how to start with this review. Yeah, I think Oppenheimer is a masterpiece in the truest sense of the word because it shows somebody that has kind of learned his own like style. Like he has a style. Like Nolan's developed this sort of weird, non-linear, bombastic, you know, epic, you know, bigger, bigger, bigger than life approach to movies. And he's been sharpening that definitely since Inception. And then, you know, Inception, Interstellar, and Tenet. You know, those are all been movies where it's like the grandest of scales possible. Like some real, truly crazy sci-fi concepts. And the way that he's told those stories have kind of matched how crazy the concept is and how the subject matter is. And then he's done movies like Dunker, where he was going more so for a, you know, dare I say, Oscar bait where it's more of a grounded, serious topic. And I feel like with Oppenheimer, he finally figured out how to use that technique that he would use on like an exception and apply it to just a very talking movie. This movie is three hours of people just talking in a room. And there are certain sequences in this movie that he directs as if he's directing Oppenheimer. Well, he is directing Oppenheimer, but as if he's directing like Inception or, or Interstellar or even Tenet. You know what I mean? And that kind of shit kind of blew my mind, to be honest, because I was like, wow, I didn't know you could direct people talking this way. And I think that's Nolan's gift. Like Nolan's gift is able to make like really boring topics seem like it's the end of the world, like somehow elevating the stakes. And one thing that I learned from watching his movies is that, you know, any story can be interesting. It's about how you tell it. You know what I mean? Like this story on paper I see like kind of, you know, if you put this as a linear movie, it's probably one of the most boring movies ever. But he him just taking certain pieces and literally just shuffling the order of it in a way that's, you know, way more conscious than the way that I'm making it sound like. Because when you say shuffle, it means like kind of random and it's not random. Like it's on purpose. He's able to shake things up in a story and put certain things at the beginning, middle and end. And, you know, have it, you know, reference each other in a way that it's really mind blowing. Like the way that Nolan thinks is, is unlike any director out there, like the way he sees story and the way he uses very cinematic elements like sound, cinematography, you know, uh, uh, um, trying to think. Yeah. Sound and cinematography for the for the eyes and ears. You know what I mean? Like. I was going for more senses, but he uses those kind of sensory, uh, you know, technical aspects of filmmaking and really takes advantage of them. This movie wouldn't be half as powerful as it is if it wasn't for the sound and the way it looks. If it wasn't for Hoyt Van Hoytima and for uh, Ludwig Göransson for the score, but also just the sound. The sound is incredible. The sound is truly incredible, and uh, this movie is hard to talk about because you see it, and you're like, yeah, you could tell. Even if you don't like it, like, even if you're like, oh, I was kind of bored throughout it, you can't deny that this is, like, a true achievement. That's the word I've been seeing a lot recently, like, people saying it's, like, is an achievement, and it truly is. This movie is an achievement. This movie is unlike any movie I think I've ever seen. Um, again, it really does feel like it's a combination of like Dunkirk, 
and, you know, Tenet, to be honest. But even Dunkirk is nonlinear. So he's been practicing. Like, it feels like his last four or five movies, he's just been practicing to make this one. And that's why this movie hits as hard as it does. Because it's like, it's been kind of like a sneaky thing he's been doing right in front of our eyes. Where he's like, I'm going to do, you know, this kind of, you know, crazy sci-fi concept. Let's see how do I experiment with the filmmaking and making it really practical. No CGI. Oh, there is CGI. But making it look practical and feel practical. With such a, like, insane concept. Then what does he do? He does uh, Interstellar. How do I deal with like real scientific concepts? You know what I mean? Like real like fucking, you know, time travel and quantum physics and all that shit. Like really, really uh, uh, factual science. And then he does Dunker. He's like, all right, how do I deal with like real people? Or at least real historical. What, how do I do with historical shit? And then you go to Tenet and it's like. How do I just say fuck making sense? Let me just make you feel something. And then he combined all that into what Oppenheimer is. And Oppenheimer, again, that's what makes it a true masterpiece. Um, I guess there technically isn't spoilers, you know. And there's a lot of little moments that I can focus on and be like, oh, this is why I love that they did this right here. They did that. But the the best thing I could do is just convey how powerful this movie was you know what i mean like how he was able to tell the story in a way that was damn near overwhelming you know i've seen it two times already and both times i walked out of it like it's a lot but it's it feels exhausting because every second matters in this three-hour movie and that's crazy that's insane to have no fat in a three-hour movie that's ridiculous so much so, there's like shots that are two seconds long that matter. You know what I mean? That they flash forwards or backwards in time and show a two-second shot. And it ends up mattering the most in the movie. And without really spoiling it, because, you know, again, there's not really a way to spoil it. But the structure, you can because it's very, like, tricky and thriller-y. You know what I mean? Like, there's twists and turns in this movie. There's twists and turns in this historical movie, if you could believe that. Um... But there, but even again, and I think I'll end with this with my review of Oppenheimer. Like the editing is what makes this movie stand out. About the editing makes it stand out above anything. To be honest, like the closest I thought of with this with this uh, editing was like everything, everywhere, all at once. Because you watch that movie, you're like, how the fuck did they edit this? This feels like so crazy, and that feels like an amateur version of this movie. If you could even believe that in terms of editing, because it feels way more grounded and important and i don't mean the concept the subject matter i'm literally just talking about the editing it feels more thought out or purposeful than even everything everywhere all at once and by purposeful i don't mean like do they know what they're doing because clearly you got to know what you're doing to edit something like everything everywhere all at once but that one you could tell they they're going off of like emotion a lot of the time and this one is less emotion and more so just how do we make this kind of story be interesting and have peaks and valleys and have a traditional kind of um structure to it. it it's crazy bro it's hard to explain without spoiling it but the editing like for example the way the movie ends it's a moment that have that it's like it's such a random moment that if i were to tell you the moment that is supposed to be the end you'll be like that's the way it ends that can't possibly be exciting 
And then the movie shows you this is the most exciting way this movie could have ended. And I'm like, in terms of just a storyline, in terms of where it is in the story, where it's taking place, the ending, it, it's kind of fucking mind-blowing that that's what he decided. And that's some real massive shit to be like, this is what's going to make the best, like, punch at the end of it. Not, you know, the bomb, which I guess that it's not a spoiler to say the bomb isn't the climax of the movie. Or it's not, it's not like the ending of it. You would think that the bomb is like the movie's leading up to the bomb and then it's it. And it's like, no, he goes for something way much, way bigger and more important and more, more with more depth. And by the t- by the end that you realize why he did what he did. And yeah, it's just masterful editing. You know, this movie is a perfect, you know, example to show somebody whenever they use that phrase, like editing the movie truly comes together in editing and nowhere does it nowhere is it more obvious than in a Christopher Nolan movie. So that's my review of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. I would give it a nine out of 10. Um, yeah, I was going to say why well, I wouldn't give it a 10 out of 10, but it's like 10 out of 10 is usually a reserve for movies that make me so emotional that I lose all, all objectivity. You know what I mean? Like if a movie moves, like for example, I gave, Everything, everywhere, all at once, like five out of five, because, you know, it overwhelmed, it, it overwhelmed me uh, emotionally, you know, and those kind of movies usually get that rating from me. Like um, Endgame, also, I give a five out of five, because the moment the portals open in Endgame, I'm, I thought I was dreaming, you know? So movies like that, I usually give a five out of five, which is funny, because I'm thinking about it now, and that doesn't necessarily mean that those movies are better than like a nine out of ten. It's just... My it, it, pure subjectivity takes over in those moments. But it's still not, even though I wasn't as emotionally like hit as I wanted to, or, well, I mean, I can't even say wanted to, because when you're going into a Christopher Nolan movie, you know, emotion isn't his best, you know, his best quality. Like, except for like Interstellar, usually emotion isn't the thing that he's good at. So I wasn't necessarily expecting that and I didn't really get it, but, but apparently some people did. Some people like just off of filmmaking alone, it really got to them. And I'll say this, I was wrapping up, but I want to do one more point. I was talking to my friend Dion about this. Christopher Nolan is able, Christopher Nolan, he gets a lot of flack for his movies, not having a lot of emotion in them, but I think his movies do have a lot of emotion. It's just very, it's just the most masculine way of showing emotion ever it's like a weird like suppressed emotion that if you're a man you understand because just in society you understand that men aren't really allowed to show emotion publicly like that you know what i mean so you got to kind of suppress everything you got to be like you know stern and like have a serious face and like just deal with whatever comes your way and not really do a lot of introspection that's not really you know uh uh encourage in our society but that's what makes nolan's movies sometimes be really emotional or why men connect with his movies a lot because he is able to portray that in films like he's able to portray this this kind of trope of the like the the really masculine man that he you know the 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 weight the weight of the world is on his shoulders and he's got to really like you know, get his job done and just not complain and just be stern and figure it out. He's able to get to the emotion that's underneath that layer 
in a way that a lot of men can understand. And it's not even, and when I say men, I don't even want to say just like the binary of women or men. It's more so that people that deal with emotions this way versus that way, right? Like it's people that are that wear their hearts in their sleeves and then there's people that cover it up. And, and Nolan is able to speak to the people that cover it up in a way that's almost like subconscious. You know what I mean? Like you'll be watching a Christopher Nolan movie and you're like, I'm feeling these emotions and not in a like, oh, I'm going to cry way, but in like, I'm feeling emotions just off of filmmaking, just of a pure, just fucking greatness, you know? And that's one thing that men can truly relate to or, or something that speaks to men is greatness. And Nolan is a great and he kind of thrives in that mode of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this movie, but like as if it's a fucking, you know, as if a Michael Jordan in like, I don't, I just care about greatness and being a genius and I'm going to care about the little details and I'm just going to, pummel you in my greatness like that's something that nolan does that is able that resonates with a lot of people that feel that way in the inside and that's something that a lot of people that critique him for like oh there's no emotion that get wrong it's like he speaks to he speaks almost like a different language of emotion that usually men are able to pick up on but um yeah those, those are my thoughts on Oppenheimer. I'm glad I got that little rant out the way because I was thinking about it. I think that's what makes Nolan so great. And and okay, and one more thing I want to say about Nolan. Um, his filmmaking, or not his filmmaking, but his discography or filmography. Where does it make him? Like, is he truly the GOAT right now? I think he has the belt. I think I looked it up the other day, and like the people that are in his that are competing with him would be like the closest one I saw was Tarantino. He's one of those filmmakers that I think that's a tight race. I think Tarantino versus Nolan is a tight race. But I feel like in terms of blockbusters, there's just nobody. To be honest, I think Nolan has taken what Spielberg has done with like blockbuster films and just elevated to another level. Sorry. Nolan, better than Spielberg. I said it. I don't care. Dog, I didn't grow up with fucking Jurassic Park. I didn't watch Jaws when I was a kid. So don't come in my comments telling me, oh, you know. This blasphemous compare Nolan to Spielberg. Listen, dog, you know, you at a certain point, you know, shout out to the older generation. It is what it is. You push the medium forward, but then the younger generation comes and pushes that even further. And that's what fucking Nolan is doing. And I'm not saying that, well, I'm literally saying that he's better than Spielberg. But when I say that, I just mean it just makes sense that he would be better because what's newer, eventually, if you keep pushing, it's going to be better than the old shit. You know, we can appreciate the old shit. But it's undeniable that Nolan is just at a different level that has definitely surpassed Spielberg. And for a lot of our people in our generation, Nolan is definitely like the gold filmmaker. Like he's one of the, and you know, it's not a coincidence that we love him so much because we've been keeping up with him since Batman Begins, right? Like Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Those are movies that a lot of people saw, especially if you love superhero movies. And that's a lot of men. So we grew up watching those. And then he's moved on into his own thing. And every single movie after that hasn't missed. It's been all events. And it's been movies that you're like, fuck, Nolan is him. You know, that it really makes his name matter. And again, it goes back to the greatness. So, yeah, Nolan is really like, no one's touching nolan right now in terms of like blockbuster filmmakers like doing it as the highest level possible and having his movie sell 80 million dollars on an opening weekend that's fucking unheard of for a three-hour biopic of people just only talking there's there's really only one and even the bomb explosion in the movie wasn't even that exciting this is a boring movie on paper and because of nolan because of barbie 
this movie has been seen by so many people and they all loved it. Like, it's not a thing of like people go watch it. It was like, oh, that was boring. Everybody's like, yo, Nolan blew my fucking mind with this movie. So, yeah, man, Nolan's him. That's all I wanted to say. And this movie further proves it. You know what I mean? Shout out to Oppenheimer. But, you know, but as much as I would like to talk about Oppenheimer, another movie also came out this weekend. And like I mentioned earlier, just now in the past, like 15 seconds. This also helped Nolan, in a way, he benefited a lot from this movie coming out, and that is Barbie. Doesn't seem to matter what I do, I'm always number two. No one knows how hard I tried, oh, oh, I, I have feelings that I can't explain, driving me insane. No, I gotta get to the to the break. Barbie, that's right. The new Barbie movie has also come out this weekend. It's been an event, like truly an event. You know, if you thought Oppenheimer was big, I mean, Barbie was one of those movies that you had to go see dressed up. It became an event where, like, everything surrounding it mattered. You know what I mean? It became a thing of, like, it, it's bigger than the movie at this point. It's more so just, I'm going to go out with my friends, wear pink, and watch this movie, you know? And... For that alone, this movie was bound to be successful because it just tapped into this, like, event energy that it's really hard to do. Like, a lot of movies try to make themselves be an event. I mean, just ask any single fucking Marvel movie in the past two years. They want to be events. But it's hard to make it really an event because, you know, like, how do you make people care that much? And the answer to that is marketing apparently i mean if you as warner brothers just market it fucking everywhere and make sure that it's inescapable in society and it ends up leading back to the movie screen and that's what barbie did and um i get complicated uh feelings about barbie because in one hand i understand that this movie is definitely not for me right it's definitely for it's squarely aimed at women and it taps into like some sort of experience that only women are really able to understand. So in that way, I can never truly understand this movie. I can enjoy it. I can catch certain things here and there, but I can never have that emotional connection that a lot of women are having to this movie. Right. However, I can't ignore that this movie is just being inside of a white woman's. Uh, it's just being inside of a millennial white woman's mind for two hours for better or worse, right? If you're a millennial white woman, for better. If you're me or any person of color, for worse. Because I don't want to see a full two-hour movie mainly about just, I'm so average. How do I go through life being, I'm not good at anything. I'm just a beautiful white woman. 
I'm not good enough. What do I do? I feel lost. You know, it's just it's so hard being a beautiful white woman that, you know, has every single opportunity in the world and can really, really do anything they want in society. Oh, it's so hard for me to do this. What am I going to do? Like when that's the main thesis of your movie, you've lost me. You've lost me. And it's like. Sure, I had fun with this movie. I, I did. I had fun. There was a lot of moments, especially with Ken. I just played the, the, the Ken song. I, I think that's a great song. Uh, Ryan Gosling, you know, went crazy in this movie. He was definitely giving me something to enjoy in this movie in terms of humor. I love the way that men are portrayed in this movie overall. I think it's pretty funny. Um, and I like how weird the movie is. You know, this is certainly not your the, the movie you would think... You hear the word Barbie as a movie. This is not what you're getting. And that's what's funny about the experience and how much of an event Barbie became because you watch it and it's like, this is not what anybody who saw the marketing for this movie was expecting or maybe wanted. But the overall experience was so good that I feel like people are over are able to overlook a really weird movie that maybe they didn't laugh at as much as they expected to. You know what I mean? Like it's incredible how much people can overlook if you're just in a good mood. And I think Barbie just made people be in a good mood. Um, but in terms of the movie itself, again, back to just how weird it is. I, I was telling my friends, it felt like uh, a lot of the humor felt like Pootie Tang where it's like, it's so insane. And you're like, in your head, you're like, that's funny because it's so crazy. I'm not necessarily laughing, or if I am, I'm forcing the laugh, but it's definitely funny. I see the humor. It's just not tickling me in that, like, guttural instinct, but sometimes, but five minutes later, it might, you know? Five minutes later, Ken might just yell out sublime as he walks off screen, and I'll just start laughing. There might be a fucking musical number just breaks out of nowhere that is so ridiculous i can't help but laugh you know so it's very hit or miss the humor um but that just comes with it when you're going for it as much as this movie does and it's not like any of its feminist talking points were wrong like i appreciated all of them and i think again that's something that all women do there's a couple of speeches in this movie that you hear and i would assume as a woman you're like yes finally there's a movie that's saying these things right so you're like okay yeah great that's good, right? I'm not I'm not pissed at any of that. My only problem is the what's underneath. I'm reading between the lines. In the moment that Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie starts talking about I don't feel like I'm good at anything and you know, I want to be a real girl, you know, and the movie gets really existential when it comes to Barbie. That's when I was like, oh, yeah, this is not necessarily for all women. As much as they try to be inclusive, which I shout out to Greta Gerwig and company. They definitely tried. But I don't care how many times you cast Issa Rae as the president of Barbie Land. That's not an experience that other women have. Or maybe they do, but it's mainly just a white woman's experience. That's a white experience in general. I mean, we saw this in the early 2000s with like movies like Fight Club or in American Beauty, where it's like white men just felt like lost in the world. And it's like, as a man, you might be able to relate a little bit, right? Like I could maybe watch Fight Club and be like, okay, I see what's going on here. I feel that being that feeling of being lost. But also, 
I can't just fall into that because I got to be great at shit. I can't just be ordinary. I can't. No person of color can just be regular. You got to be extraordinary. You got to do what's the saying? You got to be twice you got to be twice as good to be just as respected or whatever. So by that concept alone, the idea of a woman being like, oh, a white woman being like, I'm just not good at anything. How will I live? It's like, figure it out, dog. We all had to. You know, the only reason you're struggling with it is because you're able to go through life without having, without a care in the world, being a regular white woman. And you might want to do more and you might just, that might be just internal, you know, the idea of like, oh, I want to, I want to do more. But it's like, we can't relate. Maybe, I mean, just, and maybe I'm, you know, and there's a certain point in, in the past, like, five minutes while I was ranting where I said some shit about, like, that's not how all women feel. And um, let me go back to what I began, I began this review saying. Um, I'm not a woman, so I can't concretely speak on that. But I can concretely speak on the idea that white people try to be inclusive with their progressive ideals. And ultimately, it's not too helpful because they're inevitably inevitably only thinking about themselves because that's all they understand that's all they know all they know is themselves all they know is being white so of course they're going to speak to a certain whiteness that i'm just not going to understand and i'm not killing them for it to be honest this is like fucking white women's this is like millennial white women's black panther you know they're going crazy for this it's like it's like greta gerwig read into their minds you know, they completely relate with everything that this will be said, every single viewpoint, every single sense of humor, every single reference, every single song that was saying unironically. You know what I mean? Like they relate to all that. But everybody else, me included, well, I keep saying everybody else. I, let me not generalize. I was actively it, my, my experience with watching this movie was weird because it was from I kept going from like. Okay, that's funny. Okay, that's funny, and I'm laughing. Okay, that's pretty woke. Shout out to, you know, the, a pretty woke script. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because woke has a negative connotation. It's just like, just literally woke. Might be the wokest movie of the year, for sure. And then it's like, oh, now I'm pissed, because I'm like, I don't care about what it's like to be a millennial white woman. And at a certain point in this movie, that's what it was like. And also, there's other... I feel like you can make some sort of, like, video essay on just this movie alone. Because I think this movie is really problematic. This might, might be one of the most problematic... This might be one of the most problematic movies to come out this year. Because it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's loaded with, like, again, white feminist theory, which is, you know, fine and dandy. But then, you know, white feminist theory has its flaws. So portraying it in a Barbie movie, in a movie that's already kind of weirdly capitalist, and it's like it's a movie about a brand, and the brand isn't really, you know, the brand is criticized, but it's not outright, you know, like, what's the word? It's not outright, like, I would say demonized, even though that has a hell of a connotation, that word, but just, it's not critiqued enough, I don't think, you know. The CEO of Mattel being played by Will Ferrell, who looks exactly like the real CEO, and the character is being kind of like a goofball, right? He's like, oh, this guy's clearly dumb, but still having to answer to him and him making the final, him deciding the way the movie ends, that along with the white feminist shit and then the weirdly capitalist like brand shit, 
just a really strange combination of things in this movie that, you know, the movie tries to mask with like really weird humor and like submersive and meta humor, but it's like, whatever. Also, I just got to say the Ken song sounds exactly like a Bo Burnham song. Greta Gerwig, why the fuck didn't you hire Bo Burnham? Bo Burnham, shout out to one of the few white artists that I fuck with um, because he's just really good at what he does. Um, but a lot of this movie, a lot of the humor in this movie and the songs in this movie, I was like, this is just shit that I've seen Bo Burnham do. Like, I'm just Ken feels like a Bo Burnham song, like through and through. So I couldn't help but think of him like, and even the fact that, you know, slight spoiler that Ken ends up not being the greatest of, of you know, he ends up being a little bit of an antagonist. Even that felt like something that happened involving Bo Burnham in a movie that he's done in the past that may or may not have may or may not revolve around a promising young woman. So it's like a lot of it reminded me of Bo Burnham. It was clearly inspired by his kind of humor. And um, you should have gotten credit, man. Greta Gerwig, you should have gotten Bo Burnham. Because I see a lot of influence from his shit on here. But um, that's pretty much it. That's, that's, that's all I really got to talk about with Barbie. I mean, again, there's scenes that I want to rewatch that I think are going to be really fun to rewatch. But as a movie, I have no urge to watch this again. And to be honest, I don't think I'll ever watch another Greta Gerwig movie ever again because it's just not for me. It's just not. I will never like it. I could objectively look at it and be like, oh, the filmmaking is great, which it was here on Barbie. Like the filmmaking was incredible. And she really is kind of like a visionary. But outside of that, I'm, it's never going to connect with me. We're just two completely different people. And look, movies can be subjective. So you know, you may like it. I may hate it. It is what it is. I have Oppenheimer to appeal to my fucking male ego. So that's that. That's uh, that's my review of Barbie. And um, it's crazy that these movies came out back to back. And also, it's funny that the meme became real because, you know, the whole point was that like Barbie, oh, so girly. Oppenheimer, oh, so manly. And it's like, you know, that's a that's a fun meme to make. And it's an easy meme to make. And it benefited these movies immensely. But it's crazy to me to see that it really, that the meme was true and that one is purely like, if you're a guy, you get it. Even the other one is purely like, if you're a woman, you get it. It's so funny how that works. I didn't think it was going to be that uh, different. Thematically, these movies kind of similar, but, but realistically for who they're going for and who they're speaking to directly. I mean, even with Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer is funny because the way they treat women in that movie is like, dog, how does Nolan view women? That motherfucker doesn't understand women whatsoever. And it's so funny to see. Um, and funnily enough, I feel like Barbie does understand men in a certain way, but that's but really it's really white men. But again, it's going back to the whiteness of Barbie. So, yeah, it's fascinating to see these two movies come out. You know, people doing double features of these movies. I didn't do a straight up double feature, like watch one and then the other. That would have fried my brain. I wouldn't have been able to talk about these movies individually whatsoever. It would have, they would have merged as their own movie. Barbenheimer. Yeah, man. What a, at least these both movies were great. At least both movies, even if you liked one and didn't like the other, these two objectively are like, these are movies from visionary directors that are exquisitely made. So that's that's all you can really ask for, to be honest. So I'm 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 glad. I'm glad that turned out as well as it. Like everything went well. 
like everybody who was excited to see these movies loved these movies. It made a lot of money and it was just very well made, you know, and it's just, you know, it's uh, high 90s critically and in, 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 uh, commercially acclaimed, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy that every single box got ticked by both of these movies. Switch. Hey. Move that shit I hit. You full off one sip. Falling off of that got grip. All around the trap it hit. Yeah. All around the map you trip. Take it like nine out of ten. Think they gon' find that again. Think I gotta bond that again. But understand I said I been. Can't forget about that place we went. Right as you put that in my hand. Do you still pop on the intense? Do you still drop some new? Hey. Hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hace yeah. tiempo no te veo. Eh. Es que ahora mi amiga andeo. Eh. Ya no tengo la rodeo. Ahora no digo que me bordeo. Ey, ahí te lo mato. Atente la playa. Como que yo entiendo. Alright, man. Travis Scott is back. New song, K-pop. Apparently, it stands for ketamine popsicle. Had no idea. You could have fooled me. A lot of people were like, K-pop, he's clearly going for, and I think he is, but it's funny that it actually stands for ketamine popsicle. Um, the Weeknd, I think, addresses this in, the, in, the, in his verse. He says some shit like, high of the K-pop or whatever. Um, but it serves as a double entendre because, you know, the Weeknd's verse, even though she's Korean, she's still going to be poppy, I call her mommy, whatever. I don't understand the. I, this movie's good. Well, <laughs> Jesus, both movies were good, so yeah, we moved on from that. Barbenheimer is good, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this song. K-pop is a good song. I don't know what the fuck the fuzz is about. This is clearly a global play, and it's so funny to me every time an artist does something that it's meant to appeal anybody but the U.S. Any all Americans are like confused like their 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 brains start short circuiting it's like what he's appealing to other people besides the United States that doesn't make sense because they think the world revolves around the US and so when an artist is like no I want to go more global they're like what why are you doing that and it's like I don't know cuz maybe he wants to have one of the bigger songs of the fucking year maybe that's a, maybe that's a reason you know it's just so funny to me that like the artist that like Americans can't understand it. They can't understand a song that is like not appealing to them, especially from an American artist. Like they hear this and they're like, "This is not what I want. This is not fulfilling my American, you know, uh, uh, sensibilities. This is not appealing to me whatsoever." This is like when men got mad at Barbie because Barbie is only appealing to women. It's the same shit. It's just this song is meant to be a global song, not an American song. It's, it's supposed to top the the, the 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 charts the global charts not just the domestic ones and people are just like they don't know what to do with the song they're having debates about it's just gonna be in his album the song is mid the song is not good the song is not what i expected from travis you know five year break or however long he took since Astro world and this is what he gives us this is his comeback single it's like bro that's crazy this and it's a lot of overthinking that happens whenever like artists drop and it's like just listen to the song and have fun with it. Play it 
in the background and tell me it's not a fucking fun song. It is. And it's pretty well made for this kind of song. You know, he could have gone a lot. He could have gone a lot more tactless with it. Have you seen Six Nines' latest singles? Like he could have been way more like, like more obvious about his global play. But I still think he tried to make a song that makes sense in terms of his his sonics. Like this sounds like a Travis Scott song, just like more tropical and like again going for a more global appeal but it still feels like a travis scott song it's still it's not like something that doesn't make sense in his discography he's just you know adding a little bit of you know a little a little a little a little salsa a little flavor a little sazon why did i say that so so american i don't know a little sazon so it's just funny to me man it's it's the, the overthinking that happens with these songs it, it's ridiculous it's this is a good song enjoy it put it in the background of play while you're driving around you'll you'll see it you'll see the vision also the weekend went fucking crazy at the end if you wanted some some american vibes he went fucking nuts at the end you know so it's just so funny to me how lost americans are it's so funny to me it, it's it's uh, i don't know hey it, it, it's a good song though just listen to it and enjoy it it's not that deep you know um I think I had another point about this song, though. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Song is good. I, w- I want to I play The Weeknd's verse. Let me see. Because it was so good. Well, let me see. Let me go back. I meant to. Mix the drugs. There we go. Mix the drugs with the pain. Let the waves sleep away. You can get in Central Bay Calling out my name You know I'm rocking my face off You know I'm high off the K-pop Rubbing up on your body All your thoughts we gon' take off South of France we gon' party This ain't something yachty We gon' fuck till we say sick You my bad little mommy Mommy, you love me You can tell me you love me Even if you don't mean it oh my god it went crazy i loved it i love this song vocally i mean travis scott was definitely he'd say he you know he was present in this song for 10 seconds so i can maybe understand diehard travis scott fans being like where is travis they're getting a full album relax it's coming all right, man. What else do I want to talk about? I got written down. I gave up on Secret Invasion. I'll do a little bit on Secret Invasion. Not too much. Maybe two minutes. It's a shame, man. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And not because of the quality of the show. I still believe that the quality is like well-made. It's, it's like a good show, but it's just no aura. It's no aura. Nobody cares. You know, the, the, the engagement that the MCU once had before... And the fanfare, apparently it's what carried these shows. Because I don't think the quality of this show is that much different from anything else Marvel has done. But the enthusiasm is just gone. Nobody cares. Nobody's watching it. Secret Invasion is one of those shows that you watch and watch an episode and you don't even want to think about it ever again. You don't want to hear people talking about it. It's not interesting. It's over. I don't know what the fuck Marvel is going to have to do to regain that hype again. Uh, to be honest, I think it's just X-Men. I think Deadpool 3 might bring a lot of that hype. I think uh, just X-Men and then Fantastic Four. But everything in the MCU, I think they failed to 
really create another universe essentially because after endgame you kind of have to start over and i think they tried the only problem is they've started over and it's been two years and none of the universes that they've done independently have connected at all like why haven't there been more crossovers there's been really none in two years and that's that makes people like okay i mean if you don't have them cross over at some point, like the Marvel is going to be the first instance of like people crossing over. Like it's going to be a, a sequel to WandaVision. There's going to be a sequel to Miss Marvel. And it's going to be a sequel to Captain Marvel. And it's mixing all of those things together. And we'll see how it goes because it's mixing shit. Finally, people are coming, you know, crossing over. But it might, might, might be too late. The Marvels uh, might be too late at this point to... Uh, get people to care because it's just they're just not engaged they're just not invested in anything and it's a shame it's a shame that uh marvel's displaced but i think it'll come back i think it's gonna die down but i think there's gonna be something that gets people like oh shit we're back what the fuck is going on i think jonathan majors was it for a minute and then he got killed by ants in ant-man in, in guantamania and people were like okay well i guess you know there goes my investment and then jonathan majors gets accused of domestic abuse it's like they can't catch a break yeah, but um, notice how even in this supposedly secret invasion topic, I barely talked about secret invasion. It's just not interesting enough to talk about. It's good. It's fine. But it's not something you want to talk about. So, you know, there you go. Secret invasion. I gave up on it, even though I had a clip uh, when the show first started because I was confused for the hate. But I guess I didn't see that um, no aura. I guess people were able to notice that there's no aura. The aura is gone. The aura's gone. The aura's gone. That's from, yeah, I mean, if you, if you know, you know. What else is there to talk about? Ice Spice. Okay, I'll talk about this real quick. Um, Ice Spice dropped a, 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 a deluxe to her EP, which is, I, I feel like it's just an album. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's an EP. It's a deluxe EP. Here's a song that um, made me want to blow my brains out. This is definitely one of the worst pop songs of the year. You can't argue with me on this. Who produced this song? I'm gonna find this. When I found out, I was feeling wacky. You said that you love me because I'm bougie and I'm cocky. Climbing up the ranks on your own could get rocky. But I keep it pushing, knowing that they'll never stop me. Yeah, I know he know me, but he'd rather just lie. If I tell him jump, he gon' ask me how high. And I know his fears, but he never met mine. Never met mine, never, never met mine. Shout out to Riot. He produced his song, um, him trying something new. I'll say this, you know good attempt bad execution it's it's a bad song it's a bad pop beat it's just that it's not good at all i see what you were going for it just didn't work and you know shout out to ice spice for trying new shit you know she's clearly trying she's trying to do new sounds and i think you know i think eventually she's gonna get really good at music <laughs> yo imagine saying that about somebody who has a song with taylor swift eventually she'll make good music but it's like it's not it's it's not there. This is this is a bad pop song. I tweeted this and nobody cared when I tweeted it because I know that people don't care about music in general. Nobody cares about music, but here let me tell you this. It's crazy to me the band man real. 
If you don't know who that is, he is a artist. Uh, he's a Jersey Club artist. He he kind of popularized rapping over Jersey Club beats. He has a song that's supposed to be a pop song. And I remember hearing it and being like, oh, my God, this is so unexpected. But it was actually good. So that's a problem. This is it. <laughs> Cold Dome Mix. Fucking and it's actually pretty similar to the Ice Spice song. This is just the well-made version of what Ice Spice out. did, which is so fun to me that I would even compare uh, these two. I can't imagine really a world where Bandman Real made a better pop song than Ice Spice. Um, bro, um, bro. 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 Um, bro. So funny that Batman Real has a better up pop song than Ice Spice. I can't believe it. I can't believe in a world that's what that's a fact, but it is. Sorry. Um, she also tried, you know, it's like, you know, so there's really only three new songs in the deluxe, right? And I want to go through them. So I went through How High, which hearing it more and more could earworm its way into my heart, but I will always know it's bad. So I'm just putting that out there. If you see me bumping this song and this being my favorite song of the year, like five months from now, just know that I predicted it maybe, but I acknowledge it is a bad song. But the thing with Ice Spice is that she has a sound that she's good at. Like, she's good at it. Even though it's the same exact song, she's good at this song. She's crafted it. Like, damn, move back, 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 back. She fly with a butterfly tack. Look at her friend and don't know how to act. Like, damn, move back, 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 back. She fly with a butterfly tack. Look at her friend and don't know how to act. Come on, the, the verse is good too. The both verses, it's so funny to me that like she's getting the criticism that she's doing the same song over and over again. Uh, so that's why she's trying new shit, like how high or the next song I'm about to play on the deluxe. But my favorite was this one, Butterfly Cool, because it's like when you do something long enough, if you keep making the same song, eventually the song is gonna be like just immaculate. It's like you f you figured out how to make this type of song. And I think this is what proves it. But also I had the thought of, because it was something interesting about the way she was rapping and, and like her charisma, her charisma was more there. It reminded me of why I liked Munch in the first place. And I think it's because this might be an old song. And that would be really funny because maybe it's just that more authentic then as opposed to her last couple of songs like in her mood and you know a bikini bottom but either way i really enjoy this song i think there's a it, it's it's a good song you know like it, it's just a good version of the songs that she's been doing for the past year now and i really like it and the last one was the one this is the real single of the album again riot shout out to riot trying something new with, the, with this like you know almost like uh what's the movie um the purge like as if the purge is about to start and the heavy drums kind of business and ali but i'm still shaking ass in the telly 
with my bitch getting daddy. Hey. He like him already. Hey. Yeah, the rest of the song isn't necessarily like there. I like the chorus. The chorus definitely grew on me because I remember not liking it when I first heard it. And then I did talk about it in the pod how it did grow on me. The rest of the song, not really. It's not a song I would really go back to. Um, but again, Riot trying something new. Riot is trying to beat the, the you know, same song allegations. I wonder for how long Ice Spice is only going to work with Riot. At some point, she has to try out new producers. And I would love to hear what she sounds like with new producers. I wonder if that's a fight that's going on right now. I mean, again, I think Riot is good for an EP. But when you do an album, which she inevitably has to do, unless she never does an album, I think at some point she has to drop an album. And I think that's when you got to work with different producers and engineers and like soundscapists. I don't even know if that's a word, but I just made it up. Um, I'm excited for when that happens. But, you know. For now, it's like, it's good because it's singles and it's like, I'm not all the way tired. And she tried doing her pop song. It was ass, but she tried. And then this is like a different kind of sound. It's not the typical like hi-hats and drums that he usually do, does. This is a, It's still a Jersey Club like drill kind of, but it's different instruments. So I welcome that change. I welcome that change. But um, yeah, I have trust. I, I have faith in, in, in Riot. I have faith in Riot that he can become a better producer. But you know a producer that fell off that we have to start talking about. Mister, I might start a riot. Mm. Opposite of quiet. Yeah. On the pussy nigga tires. How about you try it? Try it. Try it. This beat is awful. This is a horrible beat. This might be one of the worst beats I've heard in 2023 so far. This is the new ASAP Rocky song, Riot. He's getting started to do his rollout. Like, you know, he he's doing interviews talking about which producers are in his thing, whatever. Um, and this song just came out and it's horrible. I hate it. It's bad. And not even because of ASAP Rocky. Like, he's cool. It's just a beat. And then I'm like, I stopped and thought about when was the last time that Pharrell made a good beat? And I think the answer was like Neon Guts in 2017. It's been, it's been at least five years since Pharrell has made a good beat. And I tweeted that out and a lot of people were like, oh, no, what about this beat? Or like, cash in, cash out. You know, what about, you know, it's almost dry. It's like, I hope, I, I want you guys to go back and listen to those songs and realize, including this one, this new song by ASAP Rocky, Riot. It's just a very, they're all a variation of the same song. They all have the same bounce. They all have the same bass. They all have the same hi-hats. They all have the same drums. These are not good beats. These are really, and not that there's anything wrong with kind of like really bare bone beats, but that's all he's been doing. There's been no variation in any beat he's done. And what's worse is like, if the, you know, I wouldn't be mad if it's the same beat, even if the songs were, if the song was good. If the beat was good, he just kept doing the same version of the same beat, I wouldn't be mad. The problem is that type of beat is not good. Somebody commented, somebody rep responded, shout out to Kim, follow uh, Kenny with Cam on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Great podcast. He said something, he was like, you know, you know, as much as I don't like Pusha T, and that's a controversial opinion that I happen to share as well. Um, you listen to it small, almost dry, and the beats are good. And I'm like, those are the worst beats that Pusha T has ever rapped over. 
Pochetti, uh, I'm sorry, Pharrell hasn't made a good beat in at least five years. And I think it's time we acknowledge that. None of the beats are good. Well, they're all a variation of the same not good beat, which makes it even worse, to be honest. Because it's not like the beats are awful. I mean, this one is. But in general, like his beats aren't awful, but they're just all below average and all the same, you know? Try something else. Use a different kit. Like, I feel like he's been using the same exact, like, producer kit for three years now. Switch it up, Pharrell. God damn. Fuck, man. Awful. He fell off me. I don't know what he's going to have to do to beat the wash allegations, but he needs to do it soon. But all right, man. Those are all the, those are all the topics that I wanted to talk about. That's, I think this podcast is going to be about an hour, which is great, man. I, I love me a good, good long one. Again, with every pod that I do, I got to rev up. I started off a little kind of low energy, and I'm like, will I ever make any clips over this podcast? Maybe not, because I wasn't really having a lot of energy. But now the energy's here, and it's going away. So let me uh, start wrapping up. But before we do, before we end it, and by it, I mean the podcast, let's do, uh, let's, let's, let's go to the rec room. All right, there's nothing that I, I've talked about today that uh, there's nothing that I've seen or, 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 or listened to in the past week that I haven't talked about in this episode. So there's not really I was struggling to find something little to say. It was like, oh, what's something that, that, that could be a, a put in the rec room? And then I realized, well, the point of the rec room is to recommend shit. So I only have one recommendation this week, and it's a movie called Resurrection. I want to pull up the IMDb page of it. Should have done it earlier. Uh, Resurrection uh, came out last year, 2022. Here's the little uh, synopsis. Margaret's life is in order. She is capable, disciplined, and successful. Everything is under control until David returns. That is, carrying with him the horrors of Margaret's past. It's directed by Andrew Seamans. Written by him as well, starring Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. And let me tell you something, buddy. Let me tell you something, buddy. Some of the more horrific movies I've ever seen, ever. And, and it's not even like gory. It's just psychologically horrifying. You know how they, there's like a label called like, you know, uh, uh, psychological horror. It's like it's messing with people's brains. And it's like it's more so playing on your fear rather than like something literal, like a literal monster is more so like just like metaphorical or like in your head. Usually those movies I really love, but sometimes they can get the, 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 what's the word when an artist really gets into their craft? Pretentious. It can get the pretentious label. A lot of the A24 movies, you know, could get that. But here's what I'll tell you about this one. This movie's not pretentious at all because it's just about the story of this woman. And it's like, it's crazy. Rebecca Hall does an incredible performance. I think she had the best performance of last year. So take that as you may. She clearly wasn't nominated because this wasn't an awards kind of a movie. But she delivered the best performance. So much so that this movie single-handedly made me like Pearl less. Because a lot of what Pearl did is a lot of what Rebecca Hall did in her movie, Resurrection. But um, yeah, you will never see where this movie's going. Um, it, it feels... It, somehow, the acting is so good that you immediately feel how psychologically fucked up this woman is. And you understand why she's so afraid of Tim Roth as, uh, what's his name? David. Um, it really got me into like real, to be honest, the biggest thing that this movie did 
was made me realize how horrible men can be. We can be awful. We can be awful. In terms of just psychological torture, I feel like men, we got that shit down packed, dog. I saw this movie. I'm like, dog, dog, dog. We know how to manipulate. Talk about, yo, if you think gaslighting is bad, watch this movie and see what the fuck he does. This motherfucker is a generational manipulator, dog. But yeah, that's my movie that I would recommend. Resurrection. Uh, I wonder if it's in any streaming service. Let me find that out for you guys. So there's a place you could just go and watch it. Resurrection. By the way, uh, the website that I use to find out where things are, it's called uh, Real Good, R-E-E-L Good. So there you can check if it's in any subscription service. And funnily enough, or thankfully, Resurrection is in Hulu. So very easy to watch. Most people have Hulu. It's one of the bigger streaming services that we have right now with Netflix and you know, HBO Max. So, and Disney Plus. Check it out on Hulu. Uh, Resurrection. You will be upset. Especially if you're a woman. This is like the, this is like the opposite of Barbie where like, Barbie's going to make you feel good. This is going to make you feel horrible. Enjoy it. Um, but yeah, man. That's going to be it for this episode. I really like this episode comeback episode for me after last week's trash episode i hated it it was awful this is a good one but listen when it's just you and your energy you know it bro it's gonna be way way more a hit or miss when it's just you that's doing the pod so you know it is what it is but i really love this one and that's what matters so yeah man that's gonna be it for this episode y'all this has been a lot of fun Make sure to do all the housekeeping shit that I said in the at the top of the pod. You know, it's all in the description of this episode. And um, until I see you guys next week, goodbye.